Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. Hi, Alan. Hi, Mike. And back from a stint in the States, producer Matt Lemon. How are you, Matt? I'm doing very well, thank you, Michael. Great to have you back. Today, we don't even want to talk about today's topic, but it's inevitable because it's just been overwhelming all Jewish conversation. The, whatever you want to call it, the Talib Omar brouhaha, the Trump tweet brouhaha, the loyalty, disloyalty brouhaha. Okay. I should say the Israel becoming a non-democratic state brouhaha. Well, that's probably overselling it a bit. Uh, Welcome back, Matt. Welcome back, Matt. I think refusing to allow dissenting, uh, dissenting opinions into your country could be qualified as the beginning of the end of a democratic process, but maybe I'm just crazy. You are. You are completely crazy. Uh, that is ridiculous. Okay, so <laughs> um, let's, let's first put this into context. Will anyone remember any of this six months from now? Uh, yeah, some people will. Those especially have agendas and want to keep it, you know, on thing. Just like they remember Netanyahu's speech in Congress. Will anyone remember this six years from now? Again, people pull up the past, right? But I don't think not- they. I don't think they will pull this up. Who's pulling up Netanyahu in Congress? Unless you're writing an article about Netanyahu siding with Republicans and its history, it comes up in a think piece. In terms of what most people are talking about, or what's most people's heads. That was a million years ago during the Obama administration when John Boehner was Speaker of the House. There's almost no connection to reality today in the broader world. In the world of political nerds, we remember it. Well, that's what I mean, the regurgitating, right? When you're regurgitating the past. Oh, look at the relationship. We're trying to track the relationship. I'm saying. And if you follow these things, I still remember the Lavon affair, even though it was before I was born. But nobody remembers that happened, right? I just found out about Makarambatya, these weird, you know, Tempests in a teapot that pop up in Israeli culture and in any country's culture, that if you're a history nerd or a politics nerd and you follow these things, you remember them. This, I think, this week is sound and fury signifying almost nothing. As angry and outraged as we get, I think that's the way politics works today, and it frustrates me. I think, well, to answer your question about if people remember this in six years' time, I think we have to see what's going to happen over the next six years. I really do. It could be that this is brought up as the beginning of a certain period or something that happens depending if president trump for example gets re-elected depending what happens with these congresswomen if they continue on their upward trajectory in their careers depending what happens with benjamin netanyahu in the next election and the election beyond that so i think the context is important but we don't know the context yet. i think one of the things that is helpful in a democracy is things tend to reset towards the mean so that when you have these extreme moments where things are pulling to the side eventually you'll have if things don't collapse, in a healthy thing, you have ultimately, uh, you, you have a restabilization. So that these things always, these extreme flare-ups, almost always become yesterday's news. So I think, uh, Mike, you're, you're a strong optimist believer in the, uh, in the democratic uh, uh, process. And God willing, you, uh, you, you will be shown right. I think Matt is, uh, is very... Astute when we say, you know, we don't really, you only know history once it's made. And in the future, we'll be able to look back and see where this played out in the whole relationship. I think that one thing that we can really rely on is that President Trump makes so many of these uh, mini dramas 
in the last, uh, you know, what is it, two and a half years now, and will continue for the next year and a half at least, that is, uh, you know, it will become just one more of those uh, um, uh, series in the, you know, in the reality show of the presidency now. I also think that one of the things that makes Omar and Talib famous is they're very good at playing this reality show politics. Yeah. I just don't think these things have legs. I, I, and I, I am 100% admitting I'm not a good predictor of the future, and I could be wrong. This is the category fits into me. I could be wrong. But I, I also think what Alan was saying about President Trump has so many of these kind of outbursts and things. Even in the period since this started, there's already been other ones which have overshadowed this whole spat with Denmark, for example, over the future of Greenland. That's also causing huge waves. And people are like, what's he talking about? Like, where's that coming from? Um, and there was also, of course, he said recently, uh, just he tweeted the other day that Israel views him as the coming of the, was it the second Messiah? He retweeted a conspiracy theorist wacko about him, that the Jews of Israel think he's their king. So already we have a, a couple of instances where he's almost usurping himself with his uh, interest okay, but, ideas. And how well do you remember the brouhaha with Australia, his first few weeks in office? Who remembers that well? Or his first with Macron? I think, I think, I think, remember his first blow up with Macron? It just, uh, all this stuff gets washed away. I think what's really more important is is how this reflects on the relationship of, or at least for us, how this relates, uh, reflects on the relationship of American Jews with Israel, um, vice versa, and where, and, and, and some of them may be uh, insecurities or um, also political positions and, and their state as American Jews um, and, and what that means. That, that to me is much more interesting than that the kind of this mini drama that's going on. I agree, and I think also it's important to establish certain pieces of clarity that aren't in this weird fog of verbiage and anger and emotion. Let's, let's identify what happens. So let's do it chronologically. Talib and Omar ask... I actually think you have to go a little bit back. Go ahead. Which is back is that every, I think every new Congress or something, there's a Congress-sponsored new uh, members, um, bipartisan, uh, learning trip to Israel. And this year was the biggest one, which was 41 new Congress uh, members came to Israel. Talib and Omar, Congresswomen, um, chose not to join that bipartisan mission and instead, which was, you know, fairly, was, was sponsored by APAC's Associate Education Department or whatever, um, and chose instead to organize their own trip through a private, um, Palestine, yeah, I would just say a Palestinian advocacy organization. Um, and so these two things are happening side by side. And the original initial response from the Israeli government was, yeah, any Congress member is welcome here. Um, and that was back in July. Right then, the mission happens with the Congress. Uh, the Congress, uh, bipartisan, very successful. Very successful. Um, uh, colleagues and friends of my wife were the tour guides for them. Had a very interesting uh, experience. And um, then all the leaders of both parties, uh, 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 the the House uh, Minority Leader, the. Uh, uh, the what is he? What's Steny Hoyer in the yeah. Democrat? Yeah, he's the 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 Democratic uh, leader of the House. Yeah, um, he was here and very he led the mission, very successful. Which, by the way, that mission was a few weeks after Congress voted for an anti-BDS right. bill. Well, overwhelmingly voted, overwhelmingly oh, bipartisan, overwhelmingly, including one of the four people who we call the Squad, who voted to. Uh, be anti-BDS, and then two members of the squad, Omar and Talib, 
want to sponsor a new bill being pro-BDS in that environment. Um, and when the Congressman Hoyer was here uh, as the highest elected representative, so he got assurances that Tlaib and Omar would be able to come in. At, right after he left, so um, President Trump tweets out, Israel would be crazy to... Weak. Weak to let in these anti-Israel haters, whatever. You, know, you can go look at the tweets. I'm sure you have already. Um, and that starts the ball rolling, which then eventually Israeli government says they won't be welcome. Then there's a deal made where Tlaib can come visit her elderly grandmother, but she has to sign certain conditions. That becomes public, and she rejects it. And we're off to the races with all Well, violence. she accepted it, then she yeah. rejected it. Sorry, she accepted it and rejected it when it became public. Yeah. And she got lots of pressure from her side about giving in to Israeli pressure, da -da -da, sort of uh, oppression. Then she called a press conference yeah. where she cried about remembering her mother going through a checkpoint. And then Trump, tweet, Trump tweeted about uh, her mother, her grandmother's probably happy not to see her or something. Or, uh, what a week. And then he started talking to the press about how since they are the face of the Democratic Party, he can't understand how any Jew could vote for a Democrat. If they do, they're either disloyal or immigrant. And then the press asked him about it again. And he said, any Jew who votes for a Democrat is disloyal to the Jewish people and to Israel because these people hate Israel and hate the Jewish people and they represent the Democratic Party. I'm exhausted just going through this stupid, stupid... That's my thing. I think this is also idiotic. So let's start with the basic premises. People are saying, oh, they should. Israel should have let them in because they should hear both sides. And Were these two people coming to Israel to learn about Israel and the conflict? Or were they coming to gain tools in anti-Israel propaganda? I would say it's the latter. I think they were coming with a specific agenda. Um, and the agenda they were coming with was to support... BDS and to support anti-Israel activity. Correct. I think that's obvious. If you look at the, if you look at their uh, itinerary and you look at who was organizing the trip, I couldn't find their itinerary because I thought it was very all clouded. I, I just oh, no. well, well, the official itinerary that uh, that was put on the internet oh. may not be the real one, but it was. Okay, I, I didn't. I, well, they were meeting with, with breaking the silence, for example, and they were meeting with NGOs based in Ramallah. And, and there, there was nothing. They weren't meeting with any Israeli government officials. They, were well, they said, look, we're not meeting with any government officials on either side. We are meeting with Israeli and Palestinian non-government. But it was all anti. It was all of the same brand of, you know, Israel is a colonialist apartheid state, even on the Israeli side. So they weren't looking to broaden their education. They were looking to they've, they've decided they know that Israel is terrible. Uh, Talib supports a one-state solution. Omar supports a two-state solution. But, of course, at that press conference, with, with all the lies and canards and anti-Israel, which is, interestingly, I think, anti-Semitic. I, I have an interesting side question. Do they think they're anti-Semitic? Let's take ta Talib. No, she clearly states she's not anti-Semitic. And, in fact, in the midst of all this, when Shabbat came in, Friday she went to a... Um, uh, anti-Israel Jewish group um, in uh, her district and davened Kabbalat Shabbat with them, prayed the Friday night prayer with them. So I think she clearly doesn't think that she's anti-Semitic. She just, again, like many people um, who are anti-Israel trying to make a, a statement say we're against the Zionist entity, which is the politicization of uh, of of Israel and has nothing to do with Judaism or Jews. So I would put that in the language, I think, yes. the politicization of the Jewish people is the nationalization of the Jews. It's the Jews' self-conception of being a nation 
that she doesn't accept, which I think is anti-Semitic, because if the majority of Jews accept that, at least tacitly, then it is anti-Semitic to reject it. But she's saying as long as the Jews are what I define them to be, they're fine. A diaspora religion that can live anywhere in the world, including Palestine. But as soon as they have national independent aspiration, that's a step too far. And I don't accept that about Jews. Now, she thinks that's not anti-Semitic. I think it is. I agree with you that I think she thinks she isn't. And if her definition of the Jews was the Jewish definition, if the Jews only thought of themselves as religion and a nationality, I actually understand her. But that's not how we, that's not that's not how we've ever seen ourselves, except for. I just want to add one thing to what you said because you're saying most of the Jews. That's how we conceive of ourselves today, which which is true. I agree with that. I would only add that this is how Jews, more or less, for the majority of our of our existence, three thousand years of existence, have viewed ourselves as a sovereign people, nation, however you want to call it, in terms of. The, the, the time period. So overwhelmingly over time and space, the Jews have defined themselves as a nation for a good chunk of that 2000 years, almost a diaspora nation. And she rejects that and says our definition is that we are a religion that was persecuted in Europe. And therefore, she feels bad that we were, you know, there was a genocide against our religion, and we should practice our religion freely wherever we are in the world. And she celebrates that and comes with us for Kabbalah Shabbat. But as long as we stay in the diaspora, we're fine. Or live in Palestine as... I just want to clarify something, or at least maybe you don't want me to open this can of worms, and if you don't, that's fine, we can shut it. But I think if you asked 50 American Jews, what are you? Are you a nation? Are you a religion? Like, what are you? I don't think as many would say they're a nation as you think. I, re I really don't think so. I think almost none of them would th say they're a nation. Mm -hmm. So you think less than almost none? No, I'm saying because Alan said, oh, so many Jews think of themselves as a nation. The, the fact that Jews are ignorant and, in a, and unable to articulate Jewish self-identity so. well in the modern world doesn't mean that, and the fact that Jewish education, I think, is doing a terrible job of teaching what Israel is and what the Jews are and what the, their relationship to Israel is, doesn't mean that for the majority of Jewish history, in the majority of times and places, that's the general consensus right. no, of how I, Jews see I, themselves. I agree with you, but what I think that adds to it is that idea maybe she, her belief that she is not anti-Semitic I think would be supported by many Jews in that sense, because many of the current contemporary American Jews would not see themselves in the way that you're seeing it, the way that Jewish history has seen the Jewish people themselves. So if you say, oh, okay, listen, go and talk to Jewish people, and she goes off and she talks to these groups that she's hanging out with on a Friday night, and they say, oh, we agree with you, we're a religion. If that's her sample who she's talking to, then you can understand why she would think that and why she would not consider that. That is not the sample who she's talking to. I think that the majority of Jews are saying, if you ask those same Jews, are you a nation or a religion? They say, probably religion. I say, is Rashida Tlaib an anti-Semite? They probably say yes, including most Jewish organizations which condemn her and her rhetoric. Right? And I, then, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too into semantics here, but I do think it's, it, it is an interesting thing that when you ask and this conversation that you're having, we have with our students, but we have many different students, if you say, well, what about are we a people? That many, many more will say, oh yes, Jewish, uh, the Jewish people, obviously. And then it becomes confusing. So I, I don't think it's so clear cut that the Jews in America will say, oh, we're, we're just a religion. And then I, I say, you know, if, do, do, I, think, I think that, 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 that there is a sense that we're not just a religion. This is more going on there. Um, for many of those who are confused. And so, I, and again, as Mike had said, and as you, we all agree that 
a lot of it comes down to Jewish education. But I, I think we should. We're educators. Yeah. We explain things clearly. The fact that most people don't, we hope. That's our job anyway. Some, some of us do, Mike. <laughs> but that's our job. So what we, we are clarifying why people have a gut instinct that Rashida Tlaib is an anti-Semite, even though she says, and I think, so what are most people that, I, that you're sitting around the Shabbos table that say, oh, she, she went to this Friday night thing to cover up her anti-Semitism. I, I don't know that. I think she might genuinely be pleased to sit with them at Kabbalah Shabbat. They support her definition of what Jews are. I, I also want to distinguish between, again, again, I don't want to get into too many technicalities, but when, for example, those of you who have been in our course, and we show this video of George Galloway, um, or people talk about Jeremy Corbyn, to my mind, they are clear anti-Semites. Right? I feel very strongly that they are anti-Semitic, and for, for lots of reasons. I don't have that same, I personally don't have that same gut instinct when you're talking about Rashida Tlaib, I don't, I don't have that same gut, oh my God, she's a horrible anti-Semite. I think she might be misguided. I think she might uh, have views on Israel that I don't agree with. But in terms of her views of actual like Jews, I, I don't feel... She describes right. Israel's motivations as being evil. She describes the, she, the victimization of her mother having to go through a checkpoint and weeps over that. And most Jews' instinct to, instinctive reaction to that is, what the hell are you talking about? Why is that checkpoint there? And, and, and why are you not at all describing two sides to a conflict? And why are you always assigning, demonizing Israel as having negative intentions? There's something wrong with that. So, so let, let, let's move on, because, I mean, it's... Uh, okay. Uh, um, so should Israel let, let them in? Okay. I mean, so should, what they wanted to do, now should have Israel said, okay, they're members of Congress, that's the big discussion. Should Israel let members of Congress or members of any allied country into the country? Yeah, who may not have favorable views of the of the government. Yeah, but I, I think yes, I think they should have let them in. But we have to contextualize it because Israel has a law that was passed a couple of years ago that says anybody that's a campaigner for BDS or, or has a history of BDS activity is not allowed into the country. Do you know people said that as like, oh, why is everyone complaining? We have a law. To me, <laughs> that's I, so bizarre. I, I agree. I don't. I don't, ag I don't agree with the law, but I'm saying right. if you're going to have a law. You have to uphold the law, right? No, so you don't. Well, okay, well, then we can disagree about that. But the, the fact is... That, that law says Israel has the right to reject you if you are pro-BDS. It doesn't say Israel must reject you if you're pro-BDS. These are Congresswomen representing the United States of America and American ally. We complain when Ben Ari, a member of Knesset, was denied entry to the United States, when Mayor Lansky was denied entry into Israel, when, when Sippy Livni couldn't land in England without being arrested, and we cried foul. You can't do that to members of Knesset. I think that's right. I think we shouldn't. And I think that, I think that is what Israel should have done was make overt efforts to show Talib and Omar, give some sort of possibility of, we would like you to take advantage of these dialogues, not with the government, we would like you to meet. If you're meeting with business people in the West Bank, where? Why don't you meet with business people who are Jewish? You want to meet with uh, this NGO? Why don't you meet with that NGO? They would have rejected it, and then Israel can say, "Look, they're saying we're not a democracy. <laughs> we let them in. We offered them full open conversation. Well, what's more democratic than that? There's something wrong with the story they're selling you. This is more complicated than what they're telling you. They, we have proven them wrong just by the very." That's the smart move, I think. I agree. And yeah. that's the open... And the fact that they didn't do that, and the fact that they just like put their foot down and shut the door... I th I but that's, to me, that's what's wrong with the law. In other words, let them in. Offer them, would you like to do this, this, and this, which seem reasonable, to extend your conversation? They say no. Then say, 
Again, okay. I, I agree with you that I don't think the law is appropriate. I don't. But, yeah. but I can also understand why, on a technical level, Israel said we have this law, so, and we've applied it in lots of cases. That's not why Israel changed Israel, that's, Israel no, told them not. they could. Yeah, I agree with you. Trump not. tweeted, and probably more than tweeted, he alluded to in the press, who did you talk to? He said, I didn't talk to Bibi. I'm not telling you who I talked to, which means he talked to somebody. Yeah. You know, it wasn't as smooth, probably, as he wanted to be. Trump told them not to because it feeds his political narrative. Yeah. Okay. I think I think one of the best things I read on this, and there's a lot written on, so I can't claim to have read everything, but I did read a lot on it. I think one of the best things written was an op-ed in the Forward by Ari Hoffman. I'd like to read just a quote, a quote from that, what he wrote about this, which gives a little bit of a different take than you guys were giving. Rather, Talib and Omar demand both their cake and the right to consume it. Yes to boycotting and yes to visiting. Yes to indulgence in anti-Semitic tropes and fellow travelers. And yes to unfettered access to the state of the Jews. Yes to their congressional prerogatives and no to joining a bipartisan group that just visited Israel and spent time in Ramallah considering both sides of the conflict. These trips are well established and members of Congress are never barred from meeting with a wide range of voices between the Jordan and the Mediterranean. They could have come. Nobody, I'm, I'm almost, I, I mean, no one knows because these times are crazy and everyone thought about this, but why didn't they just come in the bipartisan trip? That, that is the place that they should have come. Obviously. Uh, and then add a few days of doing other yeah. things to see things that maybe wouldn't have been on. But there's plenty of, maybe the bipartisan thing wasn't far enough for them. There's a million ways, but their, their intentions are not what they say they are. They're, right? They're trying, their intention is to hurt Israel. That's all. Exactly, exactly. So should Israel let them in? Yeah. It, so I'm saying, I, now I, I understand the, the propaganda war and what we're afraid of and like let them in, but there is a point where state says, well, you're coming here to harm me, right? When you, if, you, if you talk about C.P. Uh, Livni not being able to, able to go in England, it wasn't because England said, they, you know, the government said they couldn't come in or you're coming to harm England. It's because a private group tried to cap capture her for humanitarian, you know, uh, because of uh, uh, the Gaza, some of the Gaza missions when she was in the government, what have you. That is a very different thing than two people coming here directly to undermine and harm the government of Israel. Not even recognize, they don't even recognize the government of Israel. As we know, that they claim they were going to Palestine. So I think that the governments have a right to say, if you're coming here to harm us, you're not welcome. Um, and that's behind the boycott. We had this discussion back on the boycott. Now, I don't know if it's the smartest thing to have those on laws and this and that, but I, I do think governments have a right to ban people who they think are going to be harmful. I don't think anybody's disagreeing with that. Certainly, Matt so, pointing out that there's a law that already says that yeah, so, means that, of course, they have the right to so do I that. Said, so, yeah, keep them out. You yeah. want to come You want to come, and come with the bipartisan group, and we won't say anything. Yeah. But you want to come on your own to harm Israel? Sorry. European no. law. Europe, there are European countries that have laws saying you can't be a member of the Nazi party. It's illegal. There are European countries that say you can't say anything anti-Semitic. You can't draw a picture of Muhammad. You can't do all of this racist stuff. Racist speech is illegal in many European countries. I think that's bad policy. I think that's bad policy. When I went to America recently, as Michael mentioned, I just got back from the States. Beforehand, I had to fill out a waiver or a form that said all the things I, you know, like I had not been to... Yemen in the last five years and I've never tried to initiate a genocide and all of these I'm not a member of an active terrorist organization all these sorts of things because countries want to protect themselves but I think in the case that Alan was talking about just now I I honestly think that Israel has shot itself in the foot by saying you can't come in whether you want to come in with a bipartisan group or you want to come in separately by saying you're not coming in the harm that has been done to Israel's reputation I think is greater now than it would have been if they would have turned up and had pictures of themselves take eating hummus in Ramallah, right? So, I just think that that would have been. So I've been thinking about a lot about this, about the harm that it's coming to Israel, and I think we, 
often identify with a certain segment of population um, who is more for the opening, more for the dialogue. We believe greatly in dialogue. Whatever our political positions are, we believe greatly in dialogue. But the win, I mean... We're educators. We're educators. But like it or not, and then we can argue, we can have that discussion if it's good or bad, those are not the wins of the world right now. The wins of the world right now are strong, make your statements, keep people out. This was get, is what gets people voted for. That's why Mike alluded earlier to what Trump is playing this whole thing. This is getting Netanyahu is, is in an election cycle right now. He's playing to his base. I think that's why he did it. I don't think he gave into Trump's pressure. I think he did it because Trump made it an issue that would make B.B. lose face with his own base. I don't think he I, I think he could have gotten away with. And, and so the, and they seem, yeah. Well, weather the propaganda storm, it'll die down. As Mike said in early, in, in another year, nobody will even remember this. Um, and either so, way, I, I honestly believe either way. If they had come, it would have died down. If they had not come, it would have died It still goes down, died down. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I think if they had come, there would have just been a lot less written about it and would have died down quicker. <laughs> um, but uh, so I think that that, I, I, don't, I don't think it's done great damage to Israel. Um, I do think it is, again, I, and I think the Nikuda here in terms of damage to Israel is not, is not about damage or not to Israel. It's about the, the, uh, about the Jewish people around the world and our connection to each other as a people and as a nation in, in our homeland and in the diaspora and how we reflect and, how, and what that does to that relationship and how we see each other. Um, and I think maybe the biggest I don't know, uh, mirror here, microscope is, is it how we constantly see the needs of the, of the people living in Israel generally are very different than those in the diaspora. And I think this accentuates that um, uh, in, in, a big, in a big way. In what way? Well, I think, right, American Jews, um, I think, define their, uh, their needs as, uh, as, a, as, as a more uh, open, I mean, they always, right, not always, but the, the vast majority vote on the Democratic, on the center to the left, um, what is it, 75% or something, um, and identify with uh, the ideals of, uh, uh, of, the, of these ideals. And they see um, the real politics that Israel plays and, and the needs of Israel as not being the, uh, their needs, I, I guess you'd say that. Um, I mean, a bill, but I can see by your face I'm not being... Well, I, I, uh, well uh, if, uh, if I'm understanding clear. you correctly, you're saying Bibi did what... Uh, to oversimplify what you're saying, look, Bibi was looking out for Israel's interests, and American Jews were looking out for American Jewish interests. In other words, APAC condemned, condemned, distanced themselves and criticized Bibi's choice because it's hurting their work. APAC's work is designed to keep Israel a bipartisan issue. Bibi doesn't care about APAC's job. I can't believe that's true. Like, I think, I think, look, I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think BB, I mean, again, you see, you know, I think BB sees it. He's, he's a short term player. Right. And he sees the needs right now of, he's, I, I believe he sees his needs and the Jewish state is one. And those needs are short term or be playing this card right now. Right. But that's not in Israel's interest. It's not a problem of the diaspora Jews have a different, different set of priorities than Israel. That's BB has a different set of priorities than long-term Israel. And that's the problem. Bipartisan support of Israel is absolutely, I think, apex right. I think that's in Israel's interest. The fact that Trump wants to turn it into a partisan issue to help Trump, and BB's feeding it, as he did back under Obama, is not good long 
term for Israel, I don't believe. Agreed. I agree with you, but I think what Alan was saying was, as far as Bibi's concerned, his interests and Israel's interests are intertwined, that they're one of the same thing. Now, you're disagreeing. In with Bibi's that. head. In, in Bibi's head, right. So, but I, I, I agree with you that the, this, um, this approach of trying to split apart the, 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 um, the non-partisan uh, approach to it and try to get it into a different way to make it partisan is, is dangerous. So let me let me let me be clear because I feel like I wasn't uh, being clear. I think that first of all, Israelis don't even care. It it is barely a news item here. It was like a blip of a news item here. It, Israelis don't, and that's what I'm saying. It's a different news. Israelis don't. I mean, it popped up in the news. It was mentioned. Yeah. It was mentioned in the headlines, and Israelis like yeah whatever. Right. And again, it was in the headlines when it was like really, but but now like with the th- with everything going on. Oh, and Trump tweets something. Oh, so it comes up for for a feed. But the Trump dual loyalty thing did pop up more. Yeah. That's getting more eyes in Israel. It gets more eyes, but still, it's not is not what it is for Jewish Americans. I think Jewish American American Jews, right? They. It's, it's much more, and then it's coming up in the press much more in America and in the world. Yeah, it's existential than, to them. Yeah, than in Israel. And in Israelis, Israelis, they don't care about America. They don't understand. Just like we say uh, American Jews don't understand Israel, Israelis do not understand America. They do not understand American politics. They don't understand how the systems work. I know, I look like anecdotal, but my friends I talk to, they don't understand the, they don't understand Congress and the House and and yeah, and, most people don't understand politics in their own country. Yeah. So why would they? Yeah. No, but if you're talking about so, I'm saying, so they so they don't so what I'm saying is they're they don't they, for Israelis they don't care about they don't care about what's happening there. They, it doesn't matter to them. They want a strong prime minister here. They want a strong country here. And, and they want, um, you know, again, the majority are voting on the right, as we talked about again with Israel's weird politics. And they see, well, Trump recognized Jerusalem. Trump recognized the Golan. Trump moved the embassy. Trump is gonna, is gonna get us, let, let us annex at least Area C. That's how they see it again. We don't know that's gonna happen, but that, and, and, and the whole peace process is like not even talked about as a peace process anymore. Two-state solution is off the table. And so most Israelis who- Which most Israelis still favor, by the way, on polls. Israelis state failures on polls, a two-state solution, but they don't, again, it's, it's one of those, it's an abstraction. It's an abstraction because they don't really believe it's possible. Right. So they believe it. Oh, if it would be right. So I, I think for Israelis, the, the need the, it, it was not a need. It, that's what I was talking about. Like that's okay, not but a, the issue. For, okay, but what we're that's looking it. for. Uh, but so go back to your. His politi- that's why in terms of uh, Netanyahu's political needs, that it, it doesn't it doesn't play. It doesn't it doesn't come. No, it's going to get him his right wing. It's going to it's going to not lose right wing votes for him, but it's bad for Israel to undermine. Okay, let's be clear about a few things. First of all, everyone who believes that American national politics is always very pro-Israel, if you think that's because of AIPAC's Jews, you do not understand AIPAC. You don't understand American politics. AIPAC is like one of the top three most powerful lobbies in America, not because of its Jewish population, but because of its non-Jewish population. Largely evangelical Christian, but not only. And and if you if, if you follow Gallup, American spread for Israel is very broad. It reminds me of when I heard the the head of, of the Kashrut division at OU talking about they charge for uh, they charge for the OU symbol to label products kosher. So I asked him, okay, why do you have that on? Like, okay, tin foil at least touches food, but why have I found an OU like on laundry detergent for clothing? I mean, there's no it does You don't really need it on Tifo, but you, you, he said, because the companies pay us. I said, but you're, aren't you cheating them because you're selling them something they don't need? He goes, they absolutely need it. I said, why? He said, their sales go up. 
I say, but Jews should know better than to buy OU laundry detergent. He says, the OU symbol makes prices shoot up disproportionate, not to the Orthodox Jewish, but to the Jewish community in America. For some reason, Americans think they see the OU, our sales shoot up. It, 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 there are more people who... who not, to, not to Jewish Americans. Yeah. To regular Americans. It has more impact on regular non-Jewish Americans. Than, their sales go up higher than the full number of all Jews in America. Because it's a brand and people think, oh, that means it's good for whatever reason. Right. Similarly, Israel in America is a brand that most Americans like. So um, Americans support Israel. There are, there's a whole branch of American politics that is wildly supportive of Israel. And... It is. It has, as far as voters go, it's stronger in the Republican Party, but it's still a majority of the Democratic Party, and it's a shrinking majority. And so, APAC has been putting tremendous effort into, into. Uh, I can't use the word retarding anymore. To <laughs> just did to slowing that slip away of Democratic support. Decelerating. I guess decelerating, but no, we want to we want to stop it, and we want to make sure. And there's there's a lot of work going on. Every time I see on Facebook or Twitter somebody doing one of these things that Trump did, it makes me crazy. If you care about Israel, why aren't you helping APEC? Why aren't you helping APEC keep this bipartisan? Why isn't BB helping APEC? Why? Why is that not in the interest of Israel and the Jews? To me, that seems. Odd, but you just like said two contradictory things. No, like that base of APEC is the is that very strong Christian base mm -hmm. that was happy with this. So it's no, not no, 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 no. So. APEC is bipartisan support. Yeah, there is a shrinking demographic in the Democratic Party that wants to pull away from APEC. APEC is trying to use its Democratic base wow. to keep them from overrunning the Democratic Party. Bibi just said to the Democrats, "I'm on." the Republican side, and it's going to make it harder and harder. You see it now. Democrats, and by the way, shamefully, Democratic leaders in Congress didn't, didn't condemn Omar and Tlaib. They, they, they stopped condemning them when they share a cartoon by Latouf or go with an organization that's, that's run by people who support violence. They're not getting condemned anymore because they're under such a barrage that they feel the need to rally their tents together with this camp. And what you really want to do is de-escalate so that you can have normal discourse where it isn't a fight between Democrats and Republicans. It's a discussion within the Democratic Party and let cooler heads prevail. And so feeding into this, you know, and again, Trump using that dual loyalty thing. Trump, Trump here is saying, I, I, I'm going to tell you a rule that my mother taught me when we were watching TV and we saw an interview with Jesse Jackson. And he was saying how, how wonderful the Jews are and how much they succeed in America. And why can't, and he, he wants the African-American community to be more like, the Jewish community. And I said, wow, I guess he really likes Jews. And my mother said, no, no, he's an anti-Semite. I said, what? He just said, we're amazing. She said, as soon as somebody starts talking about the Jews in generalities like that, as soon as somebody starts talking about Jewish achievement and Jewish sees the Jews as a block and having single qualities, then there's something weird. And then a couple years later, he made his Jaime Town crack that he didn't realize was on the record. Turns out he's kind of an anti-Semite. People are confused by Trump. They go, oh, he's so good to Israel. His daughter's converted. He's such a, a philo-Semite. He kind of is. He thinks dual loyalty is good. He thinks making money is good. That's why he made these weird comments to like... He also identifies the, the, the Jews as a very homogeneous block, exactly what you're saying. If you yeah. lump everyone together and don't say, oh, there's Jews who are like this and Jews who are like that and Jews like that, but they're just one sort of homogeneous group, which is what he seems to be doing at the moment, then that would feed into your definition of... Yeah, anytime you say in a democracy, well, if anybody disagrees with me, I don't understand, they're crazy. 
Well, that, that's not healthy, and that certainly shouldn't be at the level of leadership. If you say, look, I get why Jews vote against me, but I think they're making a big mistake, is very different than saying, if you vote for a Demo- any Democrat, if you vote for Democrats that supported an anti-BDS bill and traveled to Israel and support Israel and vote overwhelmingly for Israel, if you vote for that Democrat, then you're disloyal to the Jewish people and you're disloyal to Israel. That type or of... Sw- or a Jewish Democratic member of Congress. <laughs> but I, I, I guess... Look, what, what Representative Deutsch from Florida just posted recently, why aren't more Democrats calling out Talib and Omar's with me call, calling out their, their sharing of anti-Semitic tropes and tweets? Uh, if you vote for Ted Deutsch, then you're, an then you're against Israel. Like, that's what Trump is saying. He's, he's making things so oversimplified. There's real danger in that to the Jewish people. And enabling him is not good for Israel. It's not good for Jews, I think. That's my opinion. And therefore, I think that what Bibi's doing isn't... I think this is one of those things where we should look at ourselves as absolutely unified and not be worrying about what's in Israel's... First of all, I think what's in Israel's interest isn't what's in America's interest, because we're allies. And I certainly think what's in Israel's interest is American Jews' interest. And undermining the stability of Jewish identity and presence in the United States and turning Israel into a contentious issue, I don't think is in anyone's best interest. Again, I think this is going to blow over consciously, but I think the seeds of disruption of Jewish identity in America are now well, I, sprouting. I mean, I think, uh, uh, without going, going into all of this, I do think that there is, it, it's a continuing narrative of whether, you know, that of the distancing between the two communities, the two biggest Jewish communities in the world today, which is Israel and the diaspora, and the diaspora is, is, is Israel and, and America. And that there's this continuing growing gap between these two different communities. Where do you see this as a gap? What? How do you see this as this story? There's so many stories that, uh, that are emblematic of the gap between Israeli and American Jews. How is this story a gap between Israeli and American Jews? Because Americans care about this and Israelis don't? Because yeah, that I mean, it's not yeah, it's I mean, it's not the 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 fact that no, this distances American Jews from Israel. The whole leaving out the Talib and Omar Kilo. You think it does? It makes them mad at Netanyahu. Yeah, it makes them mad at Netanyahu. So that's part of the of that continuing. In other words, here's a but no, no, but that's. When Talib and Omar condemn Israel, they're not criticizing Netanyahu policy. They're saying Israel's a terrible place. No, when American Jews say, I criticize Netanyahu, that's fine. No, but, be, so, but becoming a, Israel becoming contentious within the Jew, a policy of the Israeli government becoming contentious within the American Jewish community is a distancing. And as you say, when AIPAC has to distance itself from the or even criticize, that, that's another chip in the distancing of these two communities. It's another chip in, oh, we are not on the same page. The, these guys are different than us. And so that's what I mean. That, that It's another of this sort of narrative of, of distancing. I, and this is, this is a recurring theme that keeps coming up every time there's like a story like this or something similar. And in yesterday's Jerusalem Post, there was an article about this as well, that Israelis are concerned at the moment with security. There's been a slight uptick in, in terrorist attacks recently. Um, and Israelis are concerned about the terrorism, whereas Americans are more concerned with how Donald Trump is, is painting them and portraying them at the moment. So there are differences of, of interest, and those differences of interest do ultimately lead to difference of what's important to people, and it leads to, to some kind of uh, differentiation between the two communities. 
And I would say even more, right? So you have the, we've talked about before on the podcast, if not now, and those groups that are far left are really out of the, not even in the, near the mainstream of America, um, American Jewry, um, that, you know, they've been coming, oh, you know, Israel and America, very we have different needs and Israel's undemocratic. This kind of, you know, this kind of leads to that even within the more mainstream. When you get political mainstream uh, American politicians and Jews criticizing Israel over what they perceive as an anti-democratic move, such as leave, not letting uh, Congress people into to Israel. Well, I, I, here's what I think. Uh, you know, Matt, when you give the example earlier of having to sign that you weren't in Yemen or one of these countries that are destabilized, Muslim or Arab countries that are destabilized, the goal there is the homeland security wants to keep out radicalized people from committing acts of terror. Speech is not terror. Speech that is stupid or racist is speech. It is not harmful. It be it's, the, not harmful. It it's not harmful? Really? Not, not, not in a physical, not in a clear and present danger sense. Of course, Nazi speech is harmful. Nazis in power create damage, physical damage. You, you, what do you, how do you get rid of Nazis, right? How do you get rid of racists? Do you... Tell them shut up and push them out, or sometimes, sometimes maybe. But okay, yeah. sometimes in certain things. But I would say, generally speaking, at a governmental level, let them blow their air. Don't give them the 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 attention and treat them as an interlocutor worthy of debating. Let them spew their hatred, and that slimy element of society will have its day. And say, in polite society, in normal society, in civilized society. These people are anathema. We don't want them in our party. We don't want them to be in their discussion. Let them yell. But we're not in their conversation. What we have done, and I think this law, by the way, Israel's law of not letting them in the country, as we've said, you are part of the conversation. BDS, you are part of the conversation. BDS is a, is a movement that has failed at achieving any of its goals in any meaningful way. Look them up on the Wikipedia page at who's actually B, D, or S, boycott, divested, or sanction. There are no... But in the publicity war, Israel has now engaged them as, you know, in yeshiva language, say a barhachi, as somebody worthy of debate, somebody worthy of us passing laws about, somebody of us worthy barring, changing precedent and barring congressmen over. And so BDS is now elevated. By the way, and, uh, you know, Lahavdil and a million differences, when Herzl started the Zionist movement, he was a nothing. The Zionism was nothing. But you met with, you know, the Kaiser. You met with, you know, the Italian leadership. You met with the Russian leadership. You meet with the Pope. Suddenly, Zionism is something. Barring American Congress people because they are pro BDS means BDS is somebody. I think every time we do this, instead of saying this is a crank fringe stupidity, let them yell and we'll just ignore them. It to me, barring them is like when you know in the movies where they shoot Godzilla with like electricity and he's just stronger now. You're just, every time you engage them this way, you treat them like they're important and worthy and part of a dialogue. They're not. They're angry people who hate Israel and are yelling. And ultimately, that's not going to get much currency in the mainstream of the United States. However, if you turn this into a bipartisan issue and blow it up and now make people have to in any way take their side and take them seriously, and now here they have real reasons for grievance, you empower them. So I ultimately think this was a mistake. I do think it's going to be a tempest in a teapot. I hope for a soon-to-be age where people have more intelligent, reasonable conversations about issues instead of the 
appearance of how issues are, you know what I mean? I, I think what we tried to do today was say, what are the teachable, I hate to use a cliche, like teachable moments, but what are the teachable moments that we take away from all of this interaction? Ideas about Jewish nationality, ideas about Jewish identity, ideas about American Jewish identity and its relationship to Israel. These are things that we can learn from this, even though nothing happened of real substance. I think the, there are clarifying matters that we can take away from this. That's what I, that's what I got from this annoying week. So I think where um, the mistake that I see that was made maybe in all of this um, was, I mean, again, it's hard to make a mistake, is letting President Trump control the, the, the narrative that's out there. It's, because I think it really lost the focus that Tlaib and Omar were, could have come in the bipartisan and chose to come on a very different agenda-oriented right. practice. And then that's where Israel lost out. You don't want to go on the bipartisan, which you should. You want us to give you the right to an extended bipartisan? Fine. You don't want to go on the bipartisan? Fine. What about these things? Would you be willing to do those things? No. You're an idiot. And everybody now knows you're an idiot who isn't interested in the full story. And by the way, this could have been brought up a month ago in July when they, when the Israeli ambassador to America said, oh, yeah, sure, you can come, as opposed to going to um, Congressman uh, Hoyer and saying, why aren't they coming on your bipartisan? We're happy for them to come, but we, and we'll happy let them stay and do other stuff afterwards, but we want them to come on that. That's where they should be coming. By the way, yeah. Steny Hoyer could say, look, we gave them the right, we, we asked them if they want to pick two or three stops for us on our bipartisan trip. We added an extra day for them. We tried to be, and they do not want to be part of a dialogue. Therefore, let them do what they do, and we'll just move on with the, the serious adults will move on with the serious yeah. business, and they'll do their thing. Yeah, and I said, and I think that that uh, that's where the that you have the breakdown of the current political, you know, atmosphere both in Israel and in America that really led to this uh, fiasco. And to me, that's the that that was that's the real that's the real breakdown. Well, just stand in your corner and scream, and don't try to find the middle of the room place where we can have an intelligent conversation. Uh, that 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 ultimately serves nobody well. And I don't think it serves Israel well at the end of the day. And we're essentially agreeing. We're just picking on different issues, different different moments to point out that the that the high ground could have been seized. But instead, we're just part of this reality show conversation instead of an actual conversation of issues. But I still do think there are things hopefully learned. Sorry, we went a little bit long, but there was a lot to unpack. We didn't even scratch the surface. Uh, on understanding Israel and America's relationship, Israeli Jews and American Jews' relationship. This is just a moment that we can unpack, and hopefully that's what we did. So, thank you, fellas. Welcome back, Matt. Thanks. Thank you very much, guys, for welcoming me back so warmly. And thanks, Alan. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.